0: Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Hello, everyone. This is Julie, and here we have episode 308 of Forgotten Classics, More of the Bat by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Before we get to that, I don't have a podcast highlight. As I said, I've been listening to a lot of other things. I will say that I mentioned that Mythgard Academy was beginning a series of classes free through iTunes U or through iTunes itself about Dracula. And I've just listened to episodes 8, 9, and 10, which finish the book and have an extra Q&A session. I've enjoyed all the Mythgard Academy classes I've listened to, but this one is superb. I mean, it has opened up things in Dracula that I never really thought about before, which is what a good class and a good teacher does, of course. But I kind of knew those things were there. And it's like when I was listening to the classes on the Lord of the Rings. I mean, there are layers in Dracula that nobody thought of, or at least was willing to talk about in terms of being true to the text and not reading our new explanations into old-time writing. This is an amazing class. I highly recommend it. I also saw a really great movie, (laughs) and I'm going to tell you about it because I think it's one of those that not that many people have heard of. It's a French movie. The American name is Tell No One. This is from 2006, the star of it is the star of another of my favorite French movies called The Intouchables*, which is not a thriller, although the name sounds like it. And I think I might have told you about that one before. Definitely look for it if you haven't seen it. But Tell No One is crazy good in a way I didn't expect because it's French, but it's done American style. You can tell the director loves American thrillers and it's based on a novel by Harlan Coben and he is an American thriller writer and he and the director wrote the screenplay together. And in fact, they say that the ending of the book is different from the movie, but the author likes the movie's ending better. He said it makes more sense. What I can tell you is it has got one of these twisty plots that you think there are all these loose ends, but they're all used by the end. It is captivating in terms of you never stop thinking about, oh, oh, this is what's going to happen. Nope, it's not. The acting is top notch, really great. The music, the pacing, the feel, even a lot of the actors look American. And I use that in the highest possible praise because American thrillers just have this feel to them. I mean, I like the ones from Hong Kong. I like the ones from other countries, but this just feels so modern and electric. I highly recommend it. Tell no one. And I'll put a link to the IMDB page so you can see what it looks like and find the French name. But but it's, you know, available from, well, it's not streaming, but it's available from Amazon or, you know, if you rent movies like I do, you can find it there. So those are my recommendations for the week. Dracula, a series of classes on Dracula, and a thriller. So that'll keep your heart pumping. (laughs) Now let's talk about The Bat, which is in its own way, hearkening back to the 1920s, a thriller and a mystery. Well, maybe not a thriller, but certainly there's a supervillain out there. Now, I would say that... Dale may have some of the worst judgment I've ever seen. Why she called Courtly Fleming's nephew and said, Hey, come over, and then went, Well, I'm just going to tell you my terrible secret. No, 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 you don't know anything about this guy. As is clear, you know him from the country club. I know you want to confide in someone, but what about your aunt? You know, as uh, Ken, our faithful listener in Hawaii, was saying, In an email to me this week, Dale is one of those typical weak little feminine figures that you found in a lot of that sort of literature at that time period. And I have to agree, although I feel like she's not being given enough credit by me or Ken probably, for the fact that she actually saw a murder right in front of her. And she still was holding up to the questioning pretty well. You know, she has terrible judgment, but she was hanging on. And I also feel like kind of the point of having her there, other than moving the plot along and making terrible decisions, is that it shows us again how extraordinary Miss Cornelia is. Miss Cornelia is the counterpoint to her. She's the person who was forced to be like Dale, but internally was never like Dale. Maybe Dale can grow up to be like Miss Cornelia. We don't. No. So that's my commentary on character. Then we have the new mystery that's been added, the call from the house phone. And I love the fact that this guy is so freaking rich that he not only has the outside phone system, he has an internal phone system where the whole house is wired so they could just call each other on the phone. That is super duper. I love it. It also kind of tells you how big that house must be. (laughs) I need a phone to call you in the bedroom. So, groaning on the house phone. Everyone was in the room. What is up? Is this someone in pain? Is this a ghost groaning? Is it terrified groaning? Is it groaning to scare them? We have no idea what's going on, which is kind of why I like it. It just keeps going with this one long night that we're seeing here. So, now what? What? Let's find out. You ready? Dive in. The Bat by Mary Roberts Reinhardt and Avery Hopwood Chapter 11. Billy Practices Jiu-Jitsu We have had a sad occurrence here, doctor, said Miss Cornelia gently. The doctor braced himself. Who? Richard Fleming. Richard Fleming, gasped the doctor in tones of incredulous horror. Shot and killed from that staircase, said Miss Cornelia tonelessly. The detective demurred. Shot and killed, anyhow, he said in accents of significant omission. The doctor knelt beside the huddle on the floor he removed the fold of the raincoat that covered the face of the corpse and stared at the dead, blank mask. Till a moment ago, even at the height of his irritation with Bailey, he had been blithe and offhand, a man who seemed comparatively young for his years. Now age seemed to fall upon him. Suddenly, like a grey-clinging dust, he looked stricken and feeble under the impact of this unexpected shot. Shot and killed from that stairway, he repeated dully. He rose from his knees and glanced at the fatal stairs. What was Richard Fleming doing in this house at this hour? he said. He spoke to Miss Cornelia, but Anderson answered the question. That's what I'm trying to find out, he said with a saturnine smile. The doctor gave him a look of astonished inquiry. Miss Cornelia remembered her manners. Doctor, this is Mr. Anderson. Headquarters, said Anderson tersely, shaking hands. It was Lizzie's turn to play her part in the tangled game of mutual suspicion that by now made each member of the party at Cedarcrest watch every other member with nervous distrust. She crossed to her mistress on tiptoe. Don't you let him fool you with any of that moth business, she said in a thrilling whisper, "'jerking her thumb in the direction of the doctor. "'He's the bat!' "'Ordinarily Miss Cornelia would have dismissed her words with a smile. "'But by now her brain felt as if it had begun to revolve like a pinwheel "'in her efforts to fathom the uncanny mystery of the various events of the night. "'She addressed Dr. Wells. "'I didn't tell you, doctor. I sent for a detective this afternoon.' "'Then, with mounting suspicion,' happened in very opportunely. After I left the Johnsons, I felt very uneasy, he explained. I determined to make one more effort to get you away from this house. As this shows, my fears were justified. He shook his head sadly. Miss Cornelia sat down. His last words had given her food for thought. She wanted to mull them over for a moment. The doctor removed muffler and topcoat, stuffed the former in his topcoat pocket, and threw the latter on the settee. He took out his handkerchief and began to mop his face, as if to wipe away some strain of mental excitement under which he was laboring. His breath came quickly. The muscles of his jaw stood out. "'Died instantly, I suppose,' he said, looking over at the body. "'Didn't have time to say anything.' "'Ask the young lady.' said Anderson with a jerk of his head. She was here when it happened. The doctor gave Dale a feverish glance of inquiry. He just fell over, said the latter pitifully. Her answer seemed to relieve the doctor of some unseen weight on his mind. He drew a long breath and turned back toward Fleming's body with comparative calm. Poor Dick has proved my case for me better than I expected, he said regarding the still, unbreathing heap beneath the raincoat. He swerved toward the detective. "'Mr. Anderson,' he said with dignified pleading, "'I ask you to use your influence, "'to see that these two ladies find some safer spot than this for the night.' Lizzie bounced up from her chair, instanter. "Do!" she wailed. "'If you know any safe spot, lead me to it.' "'The doctor overlooked her sudden eruption into the scene.' He wandered back again toward the huddle under the raincoat, as if still unable to believe that it was, or rather had been, Richard Fleming. Miss Cornelia spoke suddenly in a low voice without moving a muscle of her body. "'I have a strange feeling that I'm being watched by unfriendly eyes,' she said. Lizzie clutched at her across the table. "'I wish the lights would go out again,' she pattered. "'No, I don't neither.' as Miss Cornelia gave the clutching hand a nervous little slap. During the little interlude of comedy, Billy the Japanese, unwatched by the others, had stolen over to the French windows, pulled aside a blind, looked out. When he turned back to the room, his face had lost a portion of its oriental calm. There was suspicion in his eyes. Softly, Under cover of pretending to arrange the tray of food that lay untouched on the table, he possessed himself of the key to the front door, unperceived by the rest, and slipped out of the room like a ghost. Meanwhile, the detective confronted Dr. Wells. "'You say, doctor, that you came back to take these women away from the house. Why?' The doctor gave him a dignified stare. "'Miss Van Gorder has already explained—' "'Miss Cornelia elucidated. "'Mr. Anderson has already formed a theory of the crime,' "'she said with a trace of sarcasm in her tones. "'The doctor turned on her quickly. "'I haven't said that.' "'He started. "'It had come again, tinkling, persistent, "'the phone call from nowhere, "'the ringing of the bell of the house telephone. "'The house telephone! "'Again!' breathed Dale. Miss Cornelia made a movement to answer the tinkling, inexplicable bell, but Anderson was before her. "'I'll answer that,' he barked. He sprang to the phone. "'Hello? Hello?' All eyes were on him nervously. The doctor's face, in particular, seemed a very study in fear and amazement. He clutched the back of a chair to support himself. His hand was the trembling hand of a sick old man. "'Hello? Hello?' Anderson swore impatiently. He hung up the phone. There's nobody there. Again, a chill breath from another world than ours seemed to brush across the faces of the little group in the living room. Dale, sensitive, impressionable, felt a cold, uncanny prickling at the roots of her hair. A light came into Anderson's eyes. Where's that jap? he almost shouted. He just went out, said Miss Cornelia. The cold fear, the fear of the unearthly, subsided from around Dale's heart, leaving her shaken but more at peace. The detective turned swiftly to the doctor, as if to put his case before the eyes of an unprejudiced witness. "'That Jap rang the phone,' he said decisively. "Miss Van Gorder believes this murder is the culmination of the series of mysterious happenings that caused her to send for me. I do not.' "Then what is the significance of the anonymous letters?" broke in Miss Cornelia heatedly. "Of the man Lizzie saw going up the stairs?--of the attempt to break into this house?--of the ringing of that telephone bell?" Anderson replied with one deliberate word. "Terrorization," he said. The doctor moistened his dry lips in an effort to speak. "By whom?" he asked. Anderson's voice was an icicle. I imagine by Miss Van Gorder's servants, by that woman there, he pointed at Lizzie, who rose indignantly to deny the charge, but he gave her no time for denial. He rushed on. Who probably writes the letters, he continued, by the gardener. His pointing finger found Bailey, who may have been the man Lizzie saw slipping up the stairs by the jap who goes out and rings the telephone, he concluded triumphantly. Miss Cornelia seemed unimpressed by his fervor. With what object? She queried smoothly. That's what I'm going to find out. There was determination in Anderson's reply. Miss Cornelia sniffed. Absurd! Absurd! THE BUTLER WAS IN THIS ROOM WHEN THE TELEPHONE RANG FOR THE VERY FIRST TIME. THE THRUST PIERCED ANDERSON'S ARMOR. FOR ONCE HE SEEMED AT A LOSS. HERE WAS SOMETHING HE HAD OMITTED FROM HIS CALCULATIONS. BUT HE DID NOT GIVE UP. HE WAS ABOUT TO RETORT WHEN CRASH, THUD, THE NOISE OF A VIOLENT STRUGGLE IN THE HALL OUTSIDE DREW ALL EYES TO THE HALL DOOR. An instant later the door slammed open, and a disheveled young man in evening clothes was catapulted into the living room as if slung there by a giant's arm. He tripped and fell to the floor in the center of the room. Billy stood in the doorway behind him, inscrutable, arms folded, on his face an expression of mild satisfaction, as if he were demurely pleased with a neat piece of housework neatly carried out. The young man picked himself up, brushed off his clothes, sought for his hat, which had rolled under the table. Then he turned on Billy furiously. "'Damn you! What do you mean by this?' "'Ju-jitsu,' said Billy, his yellow face quite untroubled. "'Pretty good stuff. Found on terrace with searchlight,' he added. "With well, "'Searchlight!' barked Anderson. The young man turned to face this new enemy. "'Well?' Why shouldn't I be on the terrace with a searchlight, he demanded. The detective moved toward him menacingly. Who are you? Who are you? said the young man with cool impertinence, giving him stare for stare. Anderson did not deign to reply in so many words. Instead, he displayed the police badge, which glittered on the inside of the right lapel of his coat. The young man examined it coolly. Hm. he said. Very pretty. Nice, neat design. Very chaste. He took out a cigarette case and opened it, seemingly entirely unimpressed by both the badge and Anderson. The detective chafed. If you've finished admiring my badge, he said with heavy sarcasm, I'd like to know what you were doing on the terrace. The young man hesitated shot an odd, swift glance at Dale, who, ever since his abrupt entrance into the room, had been sitting rigid in her chair with her hands clenched tightly together. "'I've had some trouble with my car down the road,' he said finally. He glanced at Dale again. "'I came to ask if I might telephone.' "'Did it require a flashlight to find the house?' Miss Cornelia asked suspiciously. "'Look here!' the young man blustered. "'Why are you asking me all these questions?' He tapped his cigarette case with an irritated air. Miss Cornelia stepped closer to him. "'Do you mind letting me see that flashlight?' she asked. The young man gave it to her with a little mocking bow. She turned it over, examined it, passed it to Anderson, who examined it also, seeming to devote particular attention to the lens.' The young man stood puffing his cigarette a little nervously while the examination was in progress. He did not look at Dale again. Anderson handed the flashlight back to its owner. "'Now, what's your name?' he said sternly. "Beresford," Reginald Beresford said the young man sulkily. "'If you doubt it, I've probably got a card somewhere.' He began to search through his pockets. "'What's your business?' went on the detective." "'What's my business here?' queried the young man, obviously fencing with his interrogator. "'No. How do you earn your living?' said Anderson quite sharply. "'I don't,' said the young man flippantly. "'I may have to begin now, if that is of any interest to you. As a matter of fact, I've studied law, but—' The one word was enough to start Lizzie off on another trail of distrust. "'He may be a lawyer.' She quoted to herself sepulchrally from the evening newspaper article that had dealt with the mysterious identity of the bat. "'And you came here to telephone about your car?' Dale rose from her chair with a hopeless little sigh. "'Oh, don't you see? He's trying to protect me,' she said wearily. She turned to the young man. "'It's no use, Mr. Beresford.' Beresford's air of flippancy vanished. "'I see,' he said." He turned to the other frankly. Well, the plain truth is I didn't know the situation and I thought I'd play safe for Miss Ogden's sake. Miss Cornelia moved over to her niece protectingly. She put a hand on Dale's shoulder to reassure her. But Dale was quite composed now. She had gone through so many shocks already that one more or less seemed to make very little difference to her overwearied nerves. She turned to Anderson calmly. He doesn't know anything about... This she said, indicating Beresford. He brought mister Fleming here in his car, that's all. Anderson looked to Beresford for confirmation. Is that true? Yes, said Beresford. He started to explain. I got tired of waiting, and so I the detective broke in curtly. All right. He took a step toward the alcove. Now, doctor. He nodded at the huddle beneath the raincoat. Beresford followed his glance and saw the ominous heap for the first time. "'What's that?' he said tensely. No one answered him. The doctor was already on his knees beside the body, drawing the raincoat gently aside. Beresford stared at the shape thus revealed with frightened eyes. The color left his face. "'That's not Dick Fleming, is it?' he said thickly. Anderson slowly nodded his head. Beresford seemed unable to believe his eyes. "'If you've looked over the ground,' said the doctor in a low voice to Anderson, "'I'll move the body where we can have a better light.' His right hand fluttered swiftly over Fleming's still-clenched fist, extracted from it a torn corner of paper. Still, Beresford did not seem to be able to take in what had happened. He took another step toward the body. "'Do you mean to say that Dick Fleming—' he began— Anderson silenced him with an uplifted hand. What do you got there, doctor? he said in a still voice. The doctor, still on his knees beside the corpse, lifted his head. What do you mean? You took something just then out of Fleming's hand, said the detective. I took nothing out of his hand, said the doctor firmly. Anderson's manner grew peremptory. I warn you not to obstruct the course of justice, he said forcibly. Give it here. The doctor rose slowly, dusting off his knees. His eyes tried to meet Anderson's and failed. He produced a torn corner of blueprint. Why, it's only a scrap of paper, nothing at all, he said evasively. Anderson looked at him meaningly. Scraps of paper are sometimes very important, he said, with a side glance at Dale. Beresford approached the two angrily. Look here. "'he burst out. "'I've got a right to know about this thing. "'I brought Fleming over here, "'and I want to know what happened to him.' "'You don't have to be a mind-reader to know that,' "'moaned Lizzie, overcome. "'As usual, her comment went unanswered. Beresford persisted in his questions. "'Who killed him? "'That's what I want to know,' "'he continued, nervously puffing his cigarette. "'Well, you're not alone in that,' "'said Anderson, in his grimly humorous vein.' "'The doctor motioned nervously to them both. "'As the coroner, if Mr. Anderson is satisfied, "'I suggest the body be taken "'where I can make a thorough examination,' he said haltingly. "'Once more Anderson bent over the shell "'that had been Richard Fleming. "'He turned the body half over, "'let it sink back on its face. "'For a moment he glanced at the corner "'of the blueprint in his hand, then at the doctor. "'Then he stood aside.' "'All right,' he said laconically. So Richard Fleming left the room where he had been struck down so suddenly and strangely, borne out by Beresford, the doctor, and Jack Bailey. The little procession moved as swiftly and softly as circumstances would permit. Anderson followed its passage with watchful eyes. Billy went mechanically to pick up the stained rug which the detective had kicked aside and carried it off after the body. When the burden and its bearers, with Anderson in the rear, reached the doorway into the hall, Lizzie shrank before the sight, affrighted, and turned toward the alcove while Miss Cornelia stared unseemingly out toward the front windows. So, for perhaps a dozen ticks of time, Dale was left unwatched, and she made the most of her opportunity. Her fingers fumbled at the bosom of her dress. She took out the precious, dangerous fragment of blueprint that Anderson must not find in her possession, but where to hide it, before her chance had passed. Her eyes fell on the bread roll that had fallen from the detective's supper tray to the floor when Lizzie had seen the gleaming eye on the stairs, and had lain there unnoticed ever since. She bent over swiftly, and secreted the tantalizing scrap of blue paper in the body of the roll, smoothing the crust back above it with trembling fingers, Then she replaced the roll where it had fallen originally, and straightened up just as Billy and the detective returned. Billy went immediately to the tray, picked it up, and started to go out again. Then he noticed the roll on the floor, stooped for it, and replaced it upon the tray. He looked at Miss Cornelia for instructions. "'Take that tray out to the dining room,' she said mechanically. But Anderson's attention had already been drawn to the tiny incident. "'Wait!' I'll look at that tray, he said briskly. Dale, her heart in her mouth, watched him examine the knives, the plates, even shake out the napkin to see that nothing was hidden in its folds. At last he seemed satisfied. All right, take it away, he commanded. Billy nodded and vanished toward the dining room with tray and roll. Dale breathed again. The sight of the tray had made Miss Cornelia's thoughts return to practical affairs. Lizzie! she demanded now go out into the kitchen and make some coffee i'm sure we all need it she sighed lizzie bristled at once go out in that kitchen alone billy's there said miss cornelia wearily the thought of billy seemed to bring little solace to lizzie's heart that jap and his jitsu, she muttered viciously one twist and i'd be folded up like a pretzel but Miss Cornelia's manner was imperative, and Lizzie slowly dragged herself kitchenward, yawning and promising the saints repentance of every sin she had or had not committed if she were allowed to get there without something grabbing at her ankles in the dark corner of the hall. When the door had shut behind her, Anderson turned to Dale, the corner of the blueprint which he had taken from the doctor in his hand. Now, Miss Ogden, he said tensely. I have here a scrap of blueprint which was in Dick Fleming's hand when he was killed. I'll trouble you for the rest of it, if you please. Chapter 12. I didn't kill him. The rest of it? queried Dale with a show of bewilderment, silently thanking her stars that, for the moment at least, the incriminating fragment had passed out of her possession. Her reply seemed only to infuriate the detective. Don't tell me Fleming started to go out of this house with a blank scrap of paper in his hand, he threatened. He didn't start to go out at all. Dale rose. Was Anderson trying a chance shot in the dark, or had he stumbled upon some fresh evidence against her? She could not tell from his manner. Why do you say that? She fainted. His cap's there on that table said the detective with crushing terseness. Dale started. She had not remembered the cap. Why hadn't she burned it, concealed it, as she had concealed the blueprint? She passed a hand over her forehead wearily. Miss Cornelia watched her niece. If you're keeping anything back, Dale, tell him, she said. She's keeping something back, all right, he said. She's told part of the truth, but not all. He hammered at Dale again. You and Fleming located that room by means of a blueprint of the house. He started, not to go out, but probably to go up that staircase, and he had in his hand the rest of this. Again he displayed the blank corner of the blue paper. Dale knew herself cornered at last. The detective's deductions were too shrewd. Do what she would, she could keep him away from the truth no longer. He was going to take the money and go away with it, she said rather pitifully, feeling a certain relief of despair steal over her, now that she no longer needed to go on lying. Lying, involving herself in an inextricable web of falsehood. Dale, gasped Miss Cornelia, alarmed. But Dale went on, reckless of consequences to herself, though still warily shielding Jack, "'He changed the minute he heard about it. "'He was all kindness before that, but afterward—' "'She shuddered, closing her eyes. "'Fleming's face rose before her again, "'furious, distorted with passion and greed, "'then suddenly quenched of life. "'Anderson turned to Miss Cornelia triumphantly. "'She started to find the money and save Bailey,' "'he explained, building up his theory of the crime.' But to do it, she had to take Fleming into her confidence, and he turned yellow. Rather than let him get away with it, she— He made an expressive gesture toward his hip pocket. Dale trembled, feeling herself already in the toils. She had not quite realized until now how damningly plausible such an explanation of Fleming's death could sound. It fitted the evidence perfectly. It took account of every factor but one— The factor left unaccounted for was one which even she herself could not explain. "'Isn't that true?' demanded Anderson. Dale already felt the cold clasp of handcuffs on her slim wrists. What use of denial when every tiny circumstance was so leagued against her? And yet she must deny. "'I didn't kill him,' she repeated perplexedly, weakly. "'Why didn't you call for help?' You. you knew I was here. Dale hesitated. I. I couldn't. The moment the words were out of her mouth, she knew from his expression that they had only cemented his growing certainty of her guilt. Dale, be careful what you say, warned Miss Cornelia agitatedly. Dale looked dumbly at her aunt. Her answers must seem the height of reckless folly to Miss Cornelia. Oh, if there were only someone who understood. "'Anderson resumed his grilling. "'Now I mean to find out two things,' he said, advancing upon Dale. "'Why you did not call for help, and what you have done with that blueprint.' "'Suppose I could find that piece of blueprint for you,' said Dale desperately. "'Would that establish Jack Bailey's innocence?' "'The detective stared at her keenly for a moment. "'If the money's there, yes.' "'Dale opened her lips to reveal the secret, reckless of what might follow. "'As long as Jack was cleared, what mattered what happened to herself. "'But Miss Cornelia nipped the heroic attempt at self-sacrifice in the bud. "'She put herself between her niece and the detective, "'shielding Dale from his eager gaze. "'But her own guilt,' she said in tones of great dignity. "'No, Mr. Anderson.' Granting that she knows where that paper is, and she has not said that she does, I shall want more time and much legal advice before I allow her to turn it over to you. All the unconscious note of command that long-inherited wealth and the pride of a great name can give was in her voice, and the detective, for the moment, bowed before it, defeated. Perhaps he thought of men who had been broken from the force for injudicious arrests. Perhaps he merely bided his time. At any rate, he gave up his grilling of Dale for the present and turned to question the doctor and to Beresford, who had just returned with Jack Bailey from their grim task of placing Fleming's body in a temporary resting-place in the library. "'Well, doctor?' he grunted. The doctor shook his head. "'Poor fellow, straight through the heart.' "'Were there any powder marks?' queried Miss Cornelia." No, and the clothing was not burned. It was apparently shot from some little distance, and I should say from above. The detective received this information without the change of a muscle of his face. He turned to Beresford, resuming his attack on Dale from another angle. Beresford, did Fleming tell you why he came here tonight? Beresford considered the question. No, he seemed in a great hurry, said Miss Ogden had telephoned him and asked me to drive him over. Why did you come up to the house? Well, said Beresford with seeming candor, I thought it was putting rather a premium on friendship to keep me sitting out in the rain all night, so I came up the drive and—oh, by the way—he snapped his fingers irritatedly as if recalling some insignificant incident that had slipped his memory and drew a battered object from his pocket. "'I picked this up about a hundred feet from the house,' he explained. "'A man's watch. It was partly crushed into the ground, and you see, it stopped running.' The detective took the object and examined it carefully. A man's open-faced gold watch, crushed and battered, in as if it had been trampled upon by a heavy heel. "'Yes.' he said thoughtfully, stopped running at 10.30. Beresford went on with mounting excitement. I was using my pocket flash to find my way, and what first attracted my attention was the ground. Torn up, you know, all around it. And then I saw the watch itself. Anybody here recognize it? The detective silently held up the watch so that all present could examine it. He waited. But if anyone in the party recognized the watch... "'No one moved forward to claim it. "'You didn't hear any evidence of a struggle, did you?' went on Beresford. "'The ground looked as if a fight had taken place. "'Of course it might have been a dozen other things.' "'Miss Cornelia started. "'Just about ten-thirty, Lizzie heard somebody cry out in the grounds,' she said. "'The detective looked Beresford over, till the latter grew a little uncomfortable. "'I don't suppose it has any bearing on the case.' "'admitted the latter uneasily. "'But it's interesting.' "'The detective seemed to agree. "'At least he slipped the watch in his pocket. "'Do you always carry a flashlight, Mr. Beresford?' "'asked Miss Cornelia a trifle suspiciously. "'Always at night in the car.' "'His reply was prompt and certain. "'This is all you found?' "'queried the detective, a curious note in his voice. "'Yes.' Beresford sat down, relieved. Miss Cornelia followed his example. Another clue had led into a blind alley, leaving the mystery of the night's affairs as impenetrable as ever. Some day I hope to meet the real estate agent who promised me that I would sleep here, as I have never slept before,' she murmured awkwardly. "'He is right. I've slept with my clothes on every night since I came.' As she ended, Billy darted in from the hall, his beady little black eyes gleaming with excitement, a long, wicked looking butcher knife in his hand. Key! Kitchen door, please! he said, addressing his mistress. Key? said Miss Cornelia, startled. What for? For once, Billy's polite little grin was absent from his countenance. Somebody outside trying to get in! he chattered. I see knob turn, so, he illustrated with the butcher knife, and so, three times. The detective's hand went at once to his revolver. You're sure of that, are you? He said roughly to Billy. Sure, I sure. Where's that hysterical woman Lizzie? queried Anderson. She may get a bullet in her if she's not careful. She see too. She shut in closet. Say prayers, maybe, said Billy without a smile. The picture was a ludicrous one, but not one of the little group laughed. "'Doctor, have you a revolver?' Anderson seemed to be going over the possible means of defense against this new peril. "'No.' "'How about you, Beresford?' Beresford hesitated. "'Yes,' he admitted finally. "'Always carry one at night in the country.' The statement seemed reasonable enough, but Miss Cornelia gave him a sharp glance of mistrust nevertheless. "'Nevertheless.' The detective seemed to have more confidence in the young idler. Beresford, will you go with this Jap to the kitchen?' As Billy, grimly clutching his butcher knife, retraced his steps toward the hall. "'If anyone's working at the knob, shout through the door. I'm going to take a look outside.' Beresford started to obey. Then he paused. "'I advise you not to turn the doorknob yourself, then,' he said flippantly. The detective nodded. "'Much obliged.' he said with a grin. He ran lightly into the alcove and tiptoed out of the terrace door, closing the door behind him. Beresford and Billy departed to take up their posts in the kitchen. I'll go with you if you don't mind. And Jack Bailey had followed them, leaving Miss Cornelia and Dale alone with the doctor. Miss Cornelia, glad of the opportunity to get the doctor's theories on the mystery without Anderson's interference, started to question him at once. "'Doctor?' "'Yes?' the doctor turned politely. "'Have you any theory about this occurrence tonight?' She watched him eagerly as she asked the question. He made a gesture of bafflement. "'None whatever. It's beyond me,' he confessed. "'And yet you warned me to leave this house,' said Miss Cornelia cannily. "'You didn't have any reason to believe that the situation was even as serious as it has proved to be.' "'I did the perfectly obvious thing when I warned you,' said the doctor easily. "'Those letters made a distinct threat.' "'Miss Cornelia could not deny the truth in his words, "'and yet she felt decidedly unsatisfied with the way things were progressing. "'You said Fleming had probably been shot from above?' "'She queried, thinking hard. "'The doctor nodded. "'Yes.' "'Have you a pocket flash, doctor?' she asked him suddenly. "'Why, yes.' The doctor did not seem to perceive the significance of the query. "'A flashlight is more important to a country doctor than castor oil,' he added with a little smile. Miss Cornelia decided upon an experiment. She turned to Dale. "'Dale, you said you saw a white light shining down from above.' "'Yes,' said Dale in a minor voice. Miss Cornelia rose. "'May I borrow your flashlight, doctor? "'Now that fool detective is out of the way,' she continued somewhat acidly. "'I want to do something.' The doctor gave her his flashlight with a stare of bewilderment. She took it and moved into the alcove. "'Doctor, I shall ask you to stand at the foot of the small staircase, facing up.' "'Now,' queried the doctor with some reluctance. "'Now, please.' The doctor slowly followed her into the alcove and took up the position she assigned him at the foot of the stairs. "'Now, Dale,' said Miss Cornelia briskly, "'when I give the word, you put out the lights here, "'and then tell me when I have reached the point on the staircase from which the flashlight seemed to come. ready." Two silent nods gave assent. Miss Cornelia left the room to seek the second floor by the main staircase, and then slowly returned by the alcove stairs, her flashlight poised in her reconstruction of the events of the crime. At the foot of the alcove stairs, the doctor waited uneasily for her arrival. He glanced up the stairs. Were those her footsteps now? He peered more closely into the darkness. An expression of surprise and apprehension came over his face. He glanced swiftly at Dale was she watching him no she sat in her chair musing he turned back toward the stairs and made a frantic insistent gesture go back go back it said plainer than words to something in the darkness by the head of the stairs then his face relaxed he gave a noiseless sigh of relief "'Dale, rousing from her brown study, turned out the floor-lamp by the table "'and went over to the main light-switch, "'awaiting Miss Cornelia's signal to plunge the room in darkness. "'The doctor stole another glance at her. "'Had his gestures been observed? "'Ah, apparently not. "'Unobserved by either, as both waited tensely for Miss Cornelia's signal,' A hand stole through the broken pane of the shattered French window behind their backs and fumbled for the knob which unlocked the window door. It found the catch. Unlocked it. The window door swung open noiselessly, just enough to admit a crouching figure that cramped itself uncomfortably behind the settee which Dale and the doctor had placed to barricade those very doors. When it had settled itself... Unperceived in its lurking place, the hand stole out again, closed the window door, relocked it. Hand or claw? Hand of man or woman or paw of beast? In the name of God, whose hand? Miss Cornelia's voice from the head of the stairs broke the silence. All right, put out the lights. Dell pressed the switch. Heavy darkness, the sound of her own breathing, a mutter from the doctor. Then, abruptly, a white, piercing shaft of light cut the darkness of the stairs, horribly reminiscent of that other light shaft that had signaled Fleming's doom. Was it here? Miss Cornelia's voice came muffledly from the head of the stairs. Dale considered. Come down a little, she said. The white spot of light wavered. "'settled on the doctor's face. "'I hope you haven't a weapon.' "'The doctor called up the stairs "'with an unsuccessful attempt at jocularity. "'Miss Cornelia descended another step. "'How's this?' "'That's about right,' said Dale uncertainly. "'Miss Cornelia was satisfied. "'Lights, please.' She went up the stairs again to see if she could puzzle out what course of escape the man who had shot Fleming had taken after his crime, if it had been a man. Dale switched on the living room lights with a sense of relief. The reconstruction of the crime had tried her sorely. She sat down to recover her poise. "'Doctor, I'm so frightened,' she confessed. The doctor at once assumed his best manner of professional reassurance— "'Why, my dear child?' he asked lightly. "'Because you happened to be in the room when a crime was committed?' "'But he has a perfect case against me,' sighed Dale. "'That's absurd.' "'No.' "'You don't mean,' said the doctor aghast. Dale looked at him with horror in her face. "'I didn't kill him,' she insisted anew. "'But you know the piece of blueprint you found in his hand?' "'Yes,' from the doctor tensely. "'Dale's nerves, too bitterly tested, gave way at last under the strain of keeping her secret. "'She felt that she must confide in someone or perish. "'The doctor was kind and thoughtful. "'More than that, he was an experienced man of the world. "'If he could not advise her, who could? "'Besides, a doctor was in many ways like a priest.' "'both sworn to keep inviolate the secrets of their respective confessionals. "'There was another piece of blueprint. "'A larger piece,' said Dale slowly. "'I tore it from him just before... "'The doctor seemed greatly excited by her words, "'but he controlled himself swiftly. "'Why did you do such a thing?' "'Oh, I'll explain that later,' said Dale tiredly. "'only too glad to be talking the matter out at last "'to pay attention to the logic of her sentences. "'It's not safe where it is,' she went on, "'as if the doctor already knew the whole story. "'Billy may throw it out or burn it without knowing.' "'Let me understand this,' said the doctor. "'The butler has the paper now.' "'He doesn't know he has it. "'It was in one of the rolls that went out on the tray.' The doctor's eyes gleamed. He gave Dale's shoulder a sympathetic pat. Now, don't you worry about it. I'll get to it, he said. Then, on the point of going toward the dining room, he turned. But you oughtn't to have it in your possession, he said thoughtfully. Why not let it be burned? Dale was on the defensive at once. Oh, no, it's important. It's vital, she said decidedly. The doctor seemed to consider ways and means of getting the paper. "'The tray is in the dining-room?' he asked. "'Yes,' said Dale. He thought a moment, then left the room by the hall door. Dale sank back in her chair and felt a sense of overpowering relief steal over her whole body, as if new life had been poured into her veins. The doctor had been so helpful. Why had she not confided in him before?' He would know what to do with the paper. She would have the benefit of his counsel through the rest of this troubled time. For a moment she saw herself and Jack, exonerated, their worries at an end, wandering hand in hand over the green lawns of Cedar Crest, in the cheerful sunlight of morning. Behind her, mockingly, The head of the unknown concealed behind the settee lifted cautiously until, if she had turned, she would have just been able to perceive the top of its skull.